As Finland applies to join NATO, if you listen close enough, you may just be able to hear echoes of an old Finnish refrain, never again alone. So the Soviets brought in a lot of troops. They just didn't bring enough. And this was I because see. Stalin had predicted that Finland would fall in about 12 days. Sound hmm. familiar? <laughs> um, Wait, you said Stalin, not Putin, right? <laughs> they believed that by bringing in, they would, they would bring in a military force and Finland would co collapse from the inside. Um, this was not only uh, based on a misunderstanding of the Finnish will to fight, but after the civil war that we just talked about and the red, the, the red side, the Bolshevik side of the, the Finnish civil war lost, the leaders of the civil war fled to Moscow where they lived into the 20s and 30s. And they were convinced that if this attack on Finland happened, the, the working classes would rise up and Finland would fall within a few days. So these so, are Finnish expats slash refugees in Moscow that are right. feeding this to the Soviet elite. Right. And, and that, and that, They're, they're telling them what the, what the Soviets want here. Did you know that Russia's interest in Finland has primarily been based on defensive terms, as in a defensive asset or a defensive liability? But as you'll discover in this episode, this perspective is drastically different than how Russia has historically viewed Ukraine. Hey there, news peelers. Today is June 10, 2022, and this is Adele, the host of Peel.News podcast. Once a week, I have the pleasure of speaking with distinguished professors and critically acclaimed authors who help us better understand our news and current events by providing some perspective from our past. We call this peel into history behind news. Sometimes we find humor in what they share, sometimes it's a shocker, and sometimes they reveal a past that's offensive. Regardless of what they share, we're always the better for learning from our intellectual and engaging conversations with them. So the peel.news is not for everyone. If you want headline news, well, you know where to get that. But if you want to explore how we got here, if you want to journey into what happened before these developments showed up as news on our TV and device screens, then grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and let's get into it. Sweden and Finland have changed their foreign policies. They've chucked away their decades-long policies of neutrality and appeasement of the Soviets, and then the Russian Federation. They've done this by applying to join NATO. The case of Finland is really interesting because similar to Ukraine, it was part of the Russian Empire. And again, similar to Ukraine, it fought a war with Russia to hold on to its independence. Actually, Finland famously fought the Soviet Union, not Russia. But you get my point. The similarity still holds. Of course, there are many major differences between Finland's and Ukraine's uneasy relationships with Russia that are extremely informative for the better understanding 
of not just the reasons for Finland's application to NATO, but also the prospects of what may happen to the war in Ukraine. To dig deep into Finland's history, well, actually not that deep, but deep enough to the roots of Russia's rule in Finland. We spoke with Dr. Jason Lavery, who joined us from Helsinki for this conversation. He's a permanent adjunct professor at Helsinki University and also a professor at Oklahoma State University's Department of History. Dr. Lavery has been visiting Finland for the last 40 years and teaching there during the summer months. He hosts a website that is dedicated to his research and teaching of Finland's history. And he also has many publications on this subject, including his book titled The History of Finland and another book titled Reforming Finland. To learn more about Dr. Lavery, his many projects and publications, visit his academic homepage and also personal website, the links for which are provided in the detailed caption of this episode. So, stay with me as Dr. Lavery and I peel the history behind this news. Professor Lavery, it is a pleasure to have you on our program. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation with me. I'm excited to speak with you about Finland's modern history. And to do that, of course, we have to talk about Russia. That is Russia's rule over Finland. So let's get into it. When did the Russian era, if you will, the Russian era start in Finland? Well, um, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for uh, thanks to everybody in the audience for 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 uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, the The Russian era is understood to begin in eighteen oh eight eighteen oh nine, when uh, Finland, which had been a part of the Swedish kingdom for some uh, seven hundred years, uh, uh, was annexed by the Russian Empire. Uh, the Swedish king at the time, uh, Gustav IV, was uh, one of the few countries in Europe, one of the few kingdoms in Europe that had not been brought to heel by Napoleon. And in 1807, when uh, uh, Alexander I and Napoleon, uh, they, had, they had fought one of these many wars that Napoleon fought moving across, across Europe. In 1807, the two sides signed a peace treaty, which brought Russia into uh, Napoleon's fold. It also required uh, Alexander I, the emperor of Russia, to do what he could to bring Sweden into this, what Napoleon called continental system. This was- Kind of a, like an, an alliance? Yes, it was, it was yeah. a land-based uh, attempt to blockade Britain. This was the main goal of Napoleon's, what he called the continental system was to starve Britain out from the continent and prevent Britain from trading with the continent. And uh, Sweden was one of these uh, countries that you know, Britain could st still deal with. So uh, Alexander pressured Gustav IV to uh, join the continental system. He refused. So Alexander invaded the Swedish kingdom, which which from Russia means attacking uh, the Eastern half of their attacking Finland. So uh, this happened in uh, uh, February, uh, 1808. And when uh, 
the, the uh, Alexander's original idea was to uh, hold on to uh, was to hold on to Finland long enough to pressure uh, Gustav to join the continental system, and then he would the idea was he would give Finland back or maybe kind of like a big bargaining chip, right? Uh, the Russians okay. had did this in the had done this in the 18th century to to Sweden. So, um, and then he decided after a few months or so to hold on to it uh, because the, the 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 Swedish army still kept uh, kept fighting, and, and Gustav wasn't interested in immediately in peace. So he decided to annex uh, Finland or this the eastern half of the Kingdom of Sweden uh, to the Russian Empire. And so this is where the uh, where the, uh, uh, the the Russian period begins. Um, what was Finland's form of government before the Russian period began? I know they were part of the Swedish Empire. I get it. But right. Did they have some sort of autonomy where they sort of a, a satrap on their own? What was it like? No, they were Finland was an integral part of the Swedish kingdom. Uh, sometimes uh, people you know, you'll read in English language scholarship and actually scholarship in, in, in Finnish and Swedish as well. Uh, the, the the kingdom will be called Sweden Finland. Uh, that's uh, in an allied Austria Hungary, right? Because there were no two separate states ruled by a common ruler. Finland was as in, it was as integral to the Swedish kingdom as. Uh, you know, Scania or uh, uh, Upland or any of the other regions in the Swedish kingdom. So this was a big loss to Sweden. Yes, yes, it was. It was. It was very large. Uh, a very large loss. Um, uh, about forty percent of the, the kingdom's territory. Uh, its main uh, source of, of grain and, and agricultural products. Uh, very significant and. You know, it was the the uh, you know the 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 cold message uh, that uh, Sweden was now reduced to being a small country in um, in Northern Europe. And Sweden had had fought many wars with Russia. One of them, one of the famous wars, the battle. I forget the battle now, but it was between Charles the Twelfth and Peter the Great. Right? Actually, right. it occurred in Ukraine. Yes, the Battle of Poltava. Yes. Poltava, there you go. Thank you for reminding yes. me. I asked the question about Finland's sort of governing structure under right. Sweden, right. 700 years, oh. um, because of the following reason. I've always been curious why the last Russian czar, Nicholas II, is titled um, the Emperor of Russia, but he was the Grand Duke Finland. So for someone like me, uh, a lay person looking into this, you're like, right. oh, what? Is Finland a different sort of, has a different status, special status under Russian uh, empire? Yes. Uh, the, uh, the, when, when Russia took over in 1808-1809, uh, Alexander decided he was going to, as much as possible, keep the status quo in Finland not change the lives of people uh, or change lives of people as little as possible. So he uh, got the elites together and promised to maintain the Lutheran religion as the uh, state religion 
that term wasn't used, but the 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 the, uh, the religion of 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 the area of, of Finland. So uh, no attempt to, to or make him orthodox or anything like that. Right. There was that there was that fear. It wasn't a very justifiable one, though. Uh, but uh, there was, and then he promised to maintain the uh, the privileges of the nobility, the clergy, the urban burghers. All the elites had their privileges confirmed, and he also promised to maintain what he called Finland's constitution, uh, which Finland's both, constitution. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Both both the Finnish side, these elites, and uh, Emperor Alexander and his successors. Uh, didn't really go into trying to define that or they had and over time they would have different ideas of it but essentially what all sides agreed was that uh, the uh, Swedish the system of Swedish law would remain that that Russian law and and Russian administrative procedures would not be introduced in Finland but rather the the, the system from the Swedish kingdom would be maintained now, in order to maintain this, in order to maintain this status quo, uh, you, I mean, in, in maintaining the status quo, Alexander immediately made Finland different from the rest of the Russian Empire, and to, in, in order to, you know, stabilize that status quo, a a separate administration had to be created for Finland, and when when Alexander uh, made these promises and created this uh, separate uh, administration, he also gave himself a separate title of Grand Duke of Finland. Finland was officially known as the Grand Duchy of Finland. Uh, so um, Alexander had other titles ruling over other parts of the Russian Empire, but the, uh, the, the, the emperor was known in Finland as, um, as, the, as, as the Grand Duke. So there was a, a whole, as I said, a whole bunch of, uh, of, of administrative bodies created. Finland had a governor general that uh, ran the Grand Duchy. He was the, the he ran the, the Grand Duchy in the name of the of the uh, Emperor Grand Duke on a daily basis. Uh, there was a, a, a collegial administrative body known as the Senate, which over time started looking like a cabinet in a, a parliamentary system. And so uh, there, there was a, uh, a you know, whole uh, system set up because Alexander had decided to uh, keep the stability, to, to keep the status quo in Finland. Now, to maybe anticipate your question, why did he do this? Yeah, thing? I'm wondering why go through all this trouble. This is like you know, 1808. It's not like you know, right. 19- why does why doesn't he just why doesn't he just go in and mow things down and make yeah. Finland a you know a, a, an administrative district just like you know some pl- some place in Siberia? Um, it's because of, or two reasons. One is that if you look at Russian expansion westward in the 18th century, uh, such as the expansion that came as a result of Peter the Great uh, defeating Charles XII. And then later Um, Catherine, no, Catherine the Great went south mostly. Right. Right. But in these these places where Russia moved westward, such as Poland and the the eastern Baltic coast, uh, they uh, uh, established their rule by co-opting local administrations and 
co-opting local elites. Uh, so what the, the Russians did in Finland was in keeping with that, that longer tradition. It was, it was quicker and, and, and in political terms, cheaper if you just struck a deal with the local, I uh, the local elites. The other thing for Finland is that um, not only did the Russians want to maintain, uh, uh, you know, they wanted to maintain the status quo in Finland, they, they did this because they wanted to, to uh, make Finland as quiet a part of the Russian empire as possible. The Russian interest in By Finland- Why you mean trouble-free? Trouble-free. Mm -hmm. Because for, um, uh, in 1808-1809, when Russia took over, the Russian interest in Finland was defensive. It, it was the goal was to get Russia uh, to get Finland into Russian control, so it can no longer be used by the King of Sweden or any other power as a corridor for invading Russia and especially attacking uh, Saint Petersburg. This has framed Russian attitudes, Russian views of Finland ever since. Russia's primary primary interest in Finland is defensive. Uh, it's it's seen as a potential defensive asset or a potential defensive liability because Russia cannot really stage any great um, offensive forward forward offensive operations against the rest of Europe from Finland, but in, but in the hands of another power, Finland can be a threat to uh, Russia. Hence, uh, NATO's presence in Finland is such a big thing. Well, right. um, although recently President Putin say it may not be a big thing. In the minute we have left of this segment, um, okay. I, I'm, I'm wondering how Finland, this supposedly trouble-free region, separated itself from the Russian Empire. Did it come with a revolution or was it before that? Yes. There, in uh, uh, 1917, when the uh, Russian monarchy collapsed in, in, in March 1917, the, um, uh, the there began a the political parties in the country started discussing independence or redefining the relationship redefining the relationship with the Russian Empire. When the Bolsheviks took over in November 1917, the majority opinion in Finland's parliament and government at the time was we need to have independence. So there was a uh, independence was declared in December 1917. Uh, Following on to that, though, uh, as a result of a lot of the dissatisfaction that one sees in Russia that helped bring the Bolsheviks to power, Finland has uh, uh, an uprising by its local Bolsheviks in January 1918, which oh, provokes wow. a civil war. Provokes a civil war that lasts until um, May of that year. So there's civil independence, and then immediately a civil, almost immediately a civil war after that. So I take it that the Bolsheviks in Finland didn't win, like the Bolsheviks. They did not win. Yeah, hence they the rest is history. Uh, why don't we take a short break and then talk about the Soviets' attempt to subjugate Finland? Why do we wage war? In Season 2, Episode 20, Professor Blattman of Chicago University gives us five reasons why we fight. And what's the history of wars in Ukraine? In Season 2, Episode 8, Dr. David Stone, who is a professor of Russian studies at the U.S. Naval War College, 
takes us back to a pivotal point in Ukraine's history in which it sought Russia's help against Poland. And as far as Poland is concerned, did you know that the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, a country that no longer exists, used to be one of the largest and most populous countries in Europe? In Season 2, Episode 19, Professor Robert Frost, Chair of History at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, speaks to us about the influence of Poland on Ukraine's culture, religion, form of government, and geopolitical outlook. The links for these prior conversations are provided in the detailed caption of this episode. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Professor Lavery. Professor Lavery, before we get into the Winter War, which is fascinating history and really is relevant to the war in Ukraine now, what I want to know is, in addition to Finland, did other nations that were subjects of the Russian Empire declare independence after the Russian Empire crumbled? Or was Finland like a one-off here? No, Finland was a part of many uh, uh, peoples inside the Russian Empire that sought independence. Uh, and this is, this is how you, you had it in the, in, in, in the period between the world wars, uh, independent countries such as Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, in, in, in particular. You also, but, but, but those countries became independent as well as Finland. You get an independent Poland, which comes out of mostly Russian territory, but also German and, mm-hmm. and, and territory from the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So Finland was a part of this new, uh, the, all of these new independent nations. And you can see that not only come out of the Russian Empire, but the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and so forth, that kind of occupy this strip in East, Eastern Europe, you know, between Germany and, and the Soviet Union. Uh, some countries, some countries such as, or some peoples uh, such as Ukraine, tried to become independent, and that failed uh, because the Bolsheviks intervened. There were attempts in the Caucasus, um, but it, it really, de- and, and there was an attempt to, for example, in Estonia, to bring the Estonians into uh, back into the the, the Soviet uh, back into Soviet Russia. These uh, efforts uh, failed and succeeded in in uh, proportion to the amount of uh, military resources, political resources, Ru- Soviet Russia's new leaders could put into it. And so uh, some countries managed to become independent, others did not. Why did it take so long for USSR to go after Finland uh, to bring it back into the sort of the Soviet uh, slash Russian fold. It happened in 1930. Now, maybe I'm being presumptuous. Maybe uh, all the other nations, it took that long for USSR to go after too. You know, it's a, it's, it's a good, it's, it's a good question. The main issue is that the uh, Soviet union itself, the leaders of the Soviet union itself had, Enough enough problems internally 
Uh, you know, there's a civil war that goes on in uh, Soviet Russia until about 1923. The White Russians. Uh, yes. And, and, and then you have, um, you also have, uh, after that, a need to uh, restore a country that had, you know, had fallen apart during, during, during World War I. The Bolsheviks needed to build the economy. So there was a real turning inward in the 20s and 30s. What draws the Soviet Union back to wanting to uh, engage Finland or bring Finland more into a, its power political sphere of influence was the rise of Germany in the 1930s. And the uh, leaders of the Soviet Union had read Hitler's early works. They had read Mein Kampf and they had read about his vision of creating an empire in Eastern Europe. And so as Germany begins to, uh, under Hitler, begins to rearm and also take parts of East Central Europe, such as Austria and, and, and Czechoslovakia, the, the Soviets become uh, more uh, interested in establishing a presence beyond their borders. Uh, so in the fall of 1939, already actually in 1938, the Soviets tried to begin a dialogue with the Finns about ha having a greater, what we'd call today, security cooperation, Finnish assurances that won't, wouldn't join a foreign alliance. Finland at, at this time was militarily non-aligned. And so the, uh, the, the Soviets become more interested in the countries along its borders as uh, German uh, military might is, is is ramping up. So earlier you said that the success or fa or failures of these Russian attempts, Soviet attempts to uh, subjugate some of their former peoples, nations, um, you know, administrative areas, colonies, whatever you want to call them, uh, was really the success was based on the proportion of military power. Uh, or mm -hmm. political will that they 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 sort of, sort of exerted in that attempt um <laughs> you know the winter war is really a fascinating period because it seems like the russians at least you know uh, when you read it from our vantage point my vantage point seems like they went all out uh yes and yes no? and yes and no uh they did bring a great actually there's there's a lot of parallels to to ukraine um, in the sense that uh, the, the, the Russian preparation and in, in initial attack, uh, the, 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 the Russians, the Soviets brought to the invasion of Finland about 450,000 soldiers. Uh, that sounds like a lot. Finland that had, is a lot. About three, had about 300,000 and the, the Finnish soldiers weren't as well armed. Now, if you want to do an invasion with at this time with the military technology that existed, you needed to bring to the point of attack. Uh, you, the invading party had to have two to three times as many troops as the, the 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 defending party had to. So the Soviets brought in a lot of troops; they just didn't bring enough. And this was I because see. Stalin had predicted that Finland would fall in about twelve days. Sound familiar? Hmm. Um, <laughs> Wait, you said Stalin, not Putin, right? <laughs> they believed that by bringing in, they would they would bring in a military force, and Finland would 
collapse from the inside. Um, this was not only uh, based on a misunderstanding of the Finnish will to fight, but after the civil war that we just talked about and the red, the, the red side, the Bolshevik side of the, the Finnish civil war lost, the leaders of the civil war fled to Moscow where they lived into the 20s and 30s. And they were convinced that if this attack on Finland happened, the, the working classes would rise up and Finland would fall within a few days. So these so, are Finnish expats slash refugees in Moscow that are right. feeding this to the Soviet elite. Right. And, and that, and that they're, they're telling them what the, what the Soviets want to hear. So uh, actually, so Stalin didn't bring as many uh, troops as he, as he, as he, uh, as, as he should have. The other thing is that, the Winter War was the first um, that we see the, the outcome of Stalin's war on his own military, uh, the purges of uh, oh, yeah. Red Army officers during the 1930s. And so there were a lot of a lot of people in command positions who had no business being there. Uh, very so, little experience. Very little experience. And then, as we see with Ukraine, uh, the way the Russians attacked uh, would, they would very often, you know, attack in uh, single columns uh, down, uh, you know, a narrow forested road. I mean, if you remember the the at the it, it was in March, uh, the famous uh, convoy outside of Kiev yeah, yeah. that stretched for tens and tens of miles. It was on the news every day. Yeah, right. And and uh, the Russians did a lot of that, and this allowed for the the Finnish troops who didn't have the firepower, but they, they took advantage of their mobility and being able to, to, to scheme in also, it's uh, their own land. conditions. So they were able to go and kind of chop up these, these long uh, Soviet columns. Uh, so the, the, the Russians brought a lot of, uh, of incompetence and arrogance to the war. Also, you know, because, because the is we're yes. lucky that we didn't, do this episode before Putin attacked Ukraine. Otherwise, he may have learned some military lessons here from us. Well, that's, that, I, I'm not sure if, what to what extent he's in the business of of, of learning but, anything. I know, but it's I know. Uh, also just um, you know it was one of the coldest and and, and uh, snowiest winter on record. So the Soviets frequently couldn't use their overwhelming air power. Uh, on, on on troops, so there were a lot of of uh, um, problems the Russians mostly self inflicted that they brought to the uh, brought to the conflict. Two two follow up questions. First, just sort of I'm I'm intrigued here, uh, curious. Were a lot of I've heard that a lot of Ukrainians were fighting on the Soviet side for this and. I guess this made sense. They were part of the system, so there's nothing out of the ordinary for that time for that. And how 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 large was this Ukrainian contingency of the Soviet army? I'm not actually sure how large it was. Hmm. Uh, so, but yes, it was it was normal at that time to for uh, very often for soldiers who were drafted in the Soviet army to be. Uh, stationed far away from far away from where they where they lived. 
Interesting. Um, perhaps to prevent them from siding with their own countrymen and women, their own nationalities or something like that. Um, so the outcome is that the Soviets don't win, but I guess how bad did they lose and why didn't they stick it out? I'm not rooting for them, obviously. Right. <laughs> I'm just, you know, wondering here. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought this was a podcast. I didn't know I was talking to I was talking to R R R T. You know, um, <laughs> wait, wait no, who's R T? I don't the Russian the, the Russian the, TV. the Russian <laughs> TV Putin TV. It used to be on your cable system. Yeah. Um, the um, no, those are two, those are two good questions. Um, actually, Russia did gain from the conflict. Now, the the, the Russian it goal gained was, from the conflict. Interesting. Yes. Uh, it was at the outset, it was clear that uh, Russia wanted to conquer all of Finland. Uh, at the end of the war, the, the conflict ended when Finland was willing to uh, give seed to Russia territory in the southeast, particularly along the Karelian Isthmus, this land bridge that connects St. Petersburg with Finland's uh, southeastern border with Russia. Finland agreed to do that. Uh, they also agreed to uh, lease the Soviets uh, a naval base uh, at a, in, in the uh, port city of Hanko, which is uh, west of Helsinki, and uh, also some territorial sessions in, in northern Finland. The, uh, and, and this was actually what the Russians had demanded from the Finns before the war. So uh, the Russians got what they had before the war originally wanted, but they didn't meet their, once the war started, didn't meet their, their, their war aims. Um, why didn't the Russians just stick it out? Uh, in fact, by February, middle of February, 1940, uh, the war ends uh, in, in um, uh, second week of March, 1940. So about a month before the war has ended, it's clear that the Russians are beginning to gain ground. And that if the conflict goes on eventually, Finland's lines would, would break. Um, Russia stops because uh, A, the Finns agreed to give up these territories. B, uh, the uh, conflict had become a real embarrassment to the Soviet Union. I bet, it yeah. Had, it had shown the uh, the world that the Soviet army was not that strong, and this was a this was this this uh, fact was taken into particular consideration by Germany, Hitler which was at this time this. still had a, a, a non-aggression pact with with the Soviet Union. The invasion of of, of the Soviet Union was only going to was going to take place uh, in, in in June 1941. So, but but obviously the Germans are looking at all this and saying, "Geez, you know, our, our our planned invasion of the Soviet Union might go a lot easier than we." Uh, than we thought. There was also possibility of um, intervention in the in, in the Winter War. There were uh, proposals by Britain and France to intervene. Now these ended up not being particularly credible, but if you're sitting in Moscow and this war is going on, you realize that the longer it goes on, not only is your uh, prestige in the world taking a hit, somebody might see this as an opportunity to intervene. Um, so, so you talked about France and Britain's 
potential uh, or you know sort of hearsay uh, potential right. for involvement. So does that mean that the Finns were fighting this on their own for the most part? Yes. Yes, there were, uh, and this is a big difference between Finland and, and, and the Winter War and, and Ukraine, in, in that um, uh, the, Ukraini uh, the uh, Ukrainians are getting weaponry uh, from, from, from many countries, from, mostly from NATO countries. Finland got during the war relatively little weaponry. Weaponry was off was you know the, the British promised planes, for example, but they didn't arrive until after the war was over. Uh, there were uh, the only significant uh, contingent of foreign troops in the conflict were about uh, ten thousand uh, ten thousand men who came from Sweden who volunteered. Uh, so go Sweden. So that was uh, so no this was this was fought by uh, by the Finns alone. Um, does Russia still still uh, hold those lands that were ceded to it by Finland. I mean, what were ceded to the Soviet Union in right. 1939? Yes, yes, oh, they, wow. they they do, and actually, uh, some more land in that uh, when uh, the war ends in 1940, um, Finland and uh, tensions between Finland and the Soviet Union are still tense, and so over the course of the next year, Finland aligns itself. Uh, increasingly with Germany. And when Germany invades the Soviet Union in June 1941, Finland shortly thereafter joins uh, the invasion to reconquer the territories lost in 1940. Uh, and so Finland is at war with the Soviet Union until uh, September 1944, when oh, wow. again, Soviet, Soviet troops begin to um, threaten to break you know, Finland's defensive line, so the Finns sue for peace. In that peace treaty in 1944, the 1940 borders are restored, but also Finland has to give up its, uh, Finland uh, up until 1944 had a sliver of, of land that gave it access to the Arctic Sea. That sliver had to be given to the Soviet Oh, so now it's blocked off from the north. Right. Did so, so the current, so the current borders were uh, created in uh, 1944. Interesting. Uh, let's take a break now. We'll be back to talk about Finland and its national identity after all of this we talked about after World War II. Okay. We'll be right back. Great. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. And if you are, then why not treat us to a cup of coffee? That's right. For the price of a cup of coffee, you too can become a monthly supporter of the Peel.News podcast. We rely on your support to continue this program, to continue peeling the history behind our news. Supporting us is easy. Just click the support link in the detailed caption of this episode. And while you're there, check out the information about our guests and other attributions and links. And thank you. Professor Lavery, so did the Winter War become kind of a defining moment a pivotal point for finland's national identity or am i sort of making too much out of it because as you could tell from previous segments it was really exciting to me to talk about this uh 
winter war and uh, the defeat of the Soviets uh, or their inability to succeed anyway. The winter war is Finland's creation story. Period. Oh, wow. So I'm not, I'm not making too much out of it. Okay. No. Uh, uh, tell me about that. How did that impact their sort of national identity going forward? Well, it, it becomes the creation story in part because, or to a great extent, I should say, because the uh, the uh, process of of, nas- of of gaining national independence was so uh, fractious. And, and you have national fractious? independence that it, what? She was it? fractious. It wasn't, they weren't unified. No, as I, I, you know, that you have, you have independence that's proclaimed in 19, in uh, December, 1917 by a narrow majority of parliament, 188. And then in the next, in the next month, primarily reflecting the divisions that one, see, one saw with the declaration of independence, the country falls into civil war. So Finland did not have the glorious national war of liberation or the war of independence that uh, many other countries have. Finland's beginnings as an independent country were very, uh, uh, very difficult. Uh, They weren't glorious. And so the winter war becomes that glorious war of national independence and national liberation that everybody took part in, the right, the left, uh, you know, uh, Finnish speakers, Swedish speakers, uh, the whole uh, population took part in this, uh, took part in this conflict. And it's the first collective achievement uh, of Finns as an independent country. That is a big deal. Yes. Um, what happens after the Winter War? Uh, and, and and you and I talked about the immediate aftermath, you know, 1940 and then the, the German uh, invasion and the continued war with the Soviets. I'm talking about a few years after or a decade after. Uh, I asked this question because this discussion has come up. Why has... Finland not join NATO. Why didn't it join NATO for a long time? We'll talk about that. But what I want to know is, you know, having gone through this several years of war, what happens to Finland in society? Um, there are several several things that take place. One of the one of the, the things that comes with the the war years, and especially the winter war, nineteen thirty nine to nineteen forty is that the the country is uh, healed or there's a great deal of of progress in the healing of the national wounds, such as the wounds that came out of the civil war. Uh, Finland has a, Finland's an officially bilingual country. The vast majority of the population speaks Finnish as a first language, minority speaks Swedish, but Swedish has, was until well into the 19th century, the language of the elites and administration. And uh, in, in the early years of independent Finland, there was in the 20s and 30s, a significant discussion over you know, should, there, should, there be, should Finland be officially bilingual or officially monolingual, that is officially Finnish speaking with, with little or no rights for Swedish speakers. The, um, the, uh, the, the, the war 
to a great extent, resolves a lot of these things. You, you, you now have the idea that exists still today of a bilingual nationalism. Uh, so there were a lot, and this is again why the, the, the Winter War is considered so, uh, so important. It's interesting though that the, the Winter War over the long haul becomes really the, it's not only Finland's creation story, it's, it's um, Finland's uh, to kind of, uh, you know, stay in, this, in the realm of the, of the of, you know, the supernatural or metaphysical or spiritual. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of, in a, in a sense, it's like Finland's Ten Commandments in that it, it's a, an event, an historical event that uh, very often is used to justify current policy. And sometimes it's, it has been used to justify different policies. For example, uh, in the years after- By different World policies, II, you mean um, uh, opposing policies? Is that what you mean? Uh, no, changes in policy. Changes in policies, okay. So after World War II, um, Finland uh, uh, has a foreign policy that is based on neutrality. Uh, but one that recognizes that the country is in the uh, power political sphere of influence of the Soviet Union. And so, uh, and the, one of the justifications for this was uh, the, the Winter War. And, 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 to, and by, also by extension, the, the war fought with, with Germany from 1941 to 44, and that these national sacrifices were made and that um, the, the country needed, the country was not going to engage in a foreign policy that was going to further endanger or end the country's independence. It needed to honor the uh, sacrifices made. Finland, the, the soldiers sacrificed in a way that Finland could left the war as an independent country and could determine its own foreign policy. Uh, there were certain realities that had to entertain. But it, 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 at the end of the Winter War, the, the uh, commander in chief of the Finnish Armed Forces, General Monerheim, said, we, are, uh, we have paid our debt to the West, meaning that in the Winter War, Finland had fought the Soviet Union, in the opinion of many Finns, not only for Finland, but for Western civilization. And at the end of the war, Monerheim told his people, we've any debt we had to Western European civilization we've paid. We need that's a we, big statement. <laughs> right. Yeah. But there was it was there was a widespread feeling in the 20s and 30s in Finland that Finland stood it was the outpost of Western civilization. And so yeah, Monerheim was calling on his people to kind of let's forget seeing ourselves that way and uh, you know engage in a, a foreign policy and engage in a policy toward Russia that you know builds on the independence that we've been able to, de to, to defend. Um, what's interesting is that uh, there, there's another general from that war who uh, is well known for the saying, uh, never again alone, in terms of what Finland should do in war. And Never uh, again alone. Never again alone. Finland should never have to fight a war alone. And that's the statement that has been repeated over and over and over again over the last two or three months here. Hence so NATO people, application. Interesting. So you, you know, as, 
on a general point of just understanding history and how history is used, you know, the same event, the Winter War, has been used both to defend the Cold War foreign policy, which rests largely on appeasing Russian power. And, and now the same event is used to justify joining NATO. That's what you were talking about, changing policies um, based on the same event. Um, I've, I've come across interesting descriptions of um, Finnish, of the Finnish society, sort of narratives that are foreign to us here, uh, to us here in America. One is this phrase, uh, whole of society, military preparedness. I don't know if it's something that still goes on, but apparently you know, businesses are called on to, to meet every, whatever, a few months to make sure they are in synergy for a military sort of defensive uh, sort of scenario. Uh, is conscription still active in Finland? Yes. For both sexes? Finland has, yes, Finland still has conscription and uh, it's, it's still uh, very uh, widespread. Uh, in in, in, in you know, some countries in Europe, such as Germany and Sweden, which j- just a few years ago reintroduced conscription, uh, Sweden the, did. The, 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 yes, the number of of uh, young men in, uh, brought into the military is much larger in, in Finland than in uh, many other countries. Also, you have as a percentage fewer men opting for civil service, the non-military. Uh, option for for national service in, in Finland. So, military uh, conscriptions widespread. The the uh, the men who are conscripted participate in it. There's uh, a, a very active uh, reserve, uh, uh, a lot of reserve activity. Uh, some of it some of it is done uh, on a, a kind of a more private basis, uh, but uh, people are you know. Uh, So people participate in, in that. Um, the preparedness part of it is uh, it, 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 it covers um, some forms of business and society, but not all parts of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not particularly visible. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not to give people the impression that is, it, you know, it's a country that's, you know, fully militarized for, for any <laughs> conflict at any time. Um, and it, and it, but, uh, you know, there's a, a, um, a, uh, not, not only as a reason, as a result of concern about Russia, but I mean, if you look at, at Finland's, uh, geographical position, uh, it's, 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 it's somewhat isolated. It, it doesn't have a lot of, a lot of neighbors and, You know, to reach Finland from more central parts of Europe um, takes a while, and this is something that uh, was, you know, came to the fore during during the the during twenty uh, during twenty twenty and twenty twenty one during the the uh, deep years of the pandemic, uh, and that uh, the the country's preparedness for something like this uh, really showed some uh, the problems. There was a very nice plan for preparedness, but. Uh, this is the first time this kind of, you know, it's kind of national preparedness that had to be employed since World War II. So, you know, in all fairness, you're going to, you're going to run, you know, once you, once you road test these, these uh, plans, you're likely to run into some weaknesses. Yeah. Um, I had written a question, a follow-up question to ask you, but I think you already answered it. So the reason why Finland did not 
opt in to apply for NATO all these years, uh, some seven years, is that they they made the decision, they concluded that appeasement, a policy of appeasing USSR is more beneficial for them than you know joining an alliance until recently when the phrase never again sort of was reinvigorated it came back to life right yeah there you go yeah never never again alone um, oh never again the, alone i'm uh, yes yes <laughs> right. the, uh, the well it wasn't that was part of the uh the 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 motivation behind um the the policy that that, that finland had uh, there were some other factors. When World War II ended, you know, Europe was was uh, um, drawn or carved up into spheres of influence. You had you know the places where the the British and the Americans liberated Europe; those played in other you know countries allied with with the British and the Americans from the West. Those countries became a part of NATO and a part of the uh, process of European integration that. You know, later turned into the European Union. The Soviet Union, for its part, had its sphere of influence in Eastern Europe. And at the end of the war, the British and the Americans and the French recognized Finland as falling into the Soviet sphere of influence. Uh, an example of this is when uh, the uh, when Finland sued for peace in September 1944, there was a, a commission, it was called an Allied Control Commission, that introduced uh, implemented that that came to Finland to uh, oversee the implementation of the peace treaty and the various things Finland had to do. Um, the um, it, it was almost it was an entirely almost entirely Soviet body. Uh, the British participation and <laughs> how British, convenient, British, right? Yeah, the British were told by their superiors in London, uh, you know, just stand there, basically stand around and take notes. Do not you know, cause problems because this was the Soviets part. If, 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 if the West started, uh, talk, you know, uh, challenging the Soviets, uh, uh, influence in Finland, maybe the Soviets would start in complaining about the allies, uh, the British and the Americans in Italy <laughs> uh, or some other place yeah, like that. Yeah, so yeah. there, there was this, uh, this, this, uh, creation of spheres of influence. And so for the West, for the United States, Finland was in that sphere of influence. Now, Finland did not adopt a, uh, a you know, a communist, you know, style economic system. There was, you know, political democracy and the United States maintained close relations with, uh, good relations with Finland. Uh, but there, and, and so there was no, no any uh, great desire to see Finland join NATO. Uh, the other question is from the Finnish standpoint, in cold, cold, you know, in cold War Europe, Finland again was this isolated uh, uh, entity. Uh -huh. Would the West actually come to defend Finland if Finland had had, let's say theoretically joined NATO and the Soviets attacked? Would the West actually come to uh, uh, defend Finland? That's actually a extremely important existential question um you know here is finland calculating that okay let's let's say we enter this alliance and we irritate the heck out of ussr and then when it comes out to duking it out with the soviets the west actually doesn't show up 
Now we're in a you know worse pickle than uh, we would have been if we had appeased them. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Let's take a break here. Stay with me and Professor Lavery as we get into the perspective. The History Behind News podcast is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, we love your reviews and ratings of our podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. And remember, don't keep us to yourself. Tell a friend about the History Behind News podcast. Professor Lavery, we talked about Ukraine. We mentioned Ukraine several times in, in the course mm-hmm. of discussing Finland's yes. modern history. Um, let's compare the two. You know, there's there's you know, Finland fought a war with uh, Russia, the Soviets, actually more than one, and here's Ukraine fighting this war. What are some of the parallels? And I guess even more important than that, lessons. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, uh, there are more um, in in the in the last ten years or so. There have been a lot of uh, people statements in, in the media uh, and uh, concerning uh, that the uh, you know a, a, a solution of Finlandization of, of of Ukraine that Ukraine could follow Finlandization. Okay, fin- Finlandization. Okay, uh, could follow Finland's. Uh, example during the Cold War in its relations with the Soviet Union or with 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 Putin's Russia, uh, th- there are some uh, significant uh, differences. Uh, one is that the uh, again I go back to Russia how it views Finland and that Finland is seen as a uh, defensive. Uh, Finland is seen in defensive terms. Mm-hmm. While Ukraine is in Central Europe and is key to any attempt by Russia to expand its power westward, offensive and uh, offensive, yes, that yes. Russia can move, 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 can 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 reestablish itself in other parts of of uh, east uh, of Eastern Europe. So, for uh, the the reason why Finland was able to pursue the foreign policy it did and. Uh, did not become annexed by the Soviet Union or uh, you know, had a had a communist puppet government. But one one of the main reasons was that the Soviets were interested in Finland in defensive terms. They didn't want to put a lot of resources into Finland as long as Finland was not a part of some uh, threatening alliance. And, and the Finns understood this. So. For 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 uh, you know, in terms of, of the thinking of Putin and Russian nationalists, uh, Ukraine is not seen as uh, a, a defensive. Uh, it's not seen in defensive terms. It's it's a part of uh, any uh, attempt by by Russia to expand or uh, project project power. Uh, the other difference is that uh, uh, Ukraine has a. There, there are a lot of Russian speakers in Ukraine. There's a much more uh, uh, you know, intertwined uh, history and, and culture and language between between the two countries. Uh, I believe one of your guests in a previous podcast said that there are a lot of Russians who 
have never believed that Ukraine is a separate country. Yeah. And have yeah. never understood why there's an independent Ukraine. We've discussed that in that, previous episodes. Yeah. Yes. There, there is not that attitude. Uh, that that uh, attitude is widespread in uh, in 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 Russia. That there there's not this. Uh, Finns are not Slavs. Finns are not, with the exception of a, about one percent of the population. Finns majority of Finns are not Eastern Orthodox. Uh, there is not a the, the the kind of historical ties between uh, be, be, between the two between the two countries. So. Um, what the the, the 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 Finland solution for Ukraine supposes that Ukraine can uh, that Ukraine will have the same kind of uh, barriers or distance from Russia that Finland had in the Cold War. And Are you referring Ukraine to cultural not, barriers and distance, or also physical, cultural? Certainly. And that the, the, you know, the geopolitical barriers mm -hmm. and, and so forth. And Ukraine doesn't have those have those barriers. Um, you know, it, it's possible that, however, it, you know, in terms of applying Finland's experience, there might be some things to apply when and if the conflict ends um, in terms of uh, seeking and negotiated uh, a negotiated solution to it. Finland did that in 1939, 1940, yes. right? Right. Um, the, uh, the the difference, though, was uh, that at the at the end of the Winter War, uh, that uh, the 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 you know the amount the territory that Russia took from Finland was about ten percent of the the country's territory. Oh wow! Um, and about ten percent of the of of the of the uh, of the population. That the population of those those territories left and resettled in Finland. Um, in in Ukraine, it's it's very hard to imagine that Russia would just be satisfied based on what their demands have been and where their armies have been of just you know going back and just being settled um, satisfied with uh, with Crimea or you know a small a small slice a of territory or something. Right. So uh, I, I think that as the uh, as the war goes on, uh, I, I think that Ukraine is going to uh, there, there will be Ukraine will have its own its own solution um, to the conflict. The, the, the two countries have some uh, some real fundamental differences, both in terms of you know, their, their domestic politics and population, but also their historical uh, ties with Russia. You know, the more you explain this, um, the more um, I'm beginning to realize that the winter war is really vastly different than this war in Ukraine now. And just everything, uh, you know, Russia's outlook, um, how the Finnish fought it versus how Ukraine is fighting it and the territories. Um, um, so, um, you know, uh, Finlandization, I'm not sure is the right solution then for Ukraine, if that's the case. Yes, the, I mean, the in, in both cases, both in cases of both wars, you, you do see uh, R Russian uh, arrogance and incompetence, and in, in both cases, you see countries. that... Your example of single column sort of strolling in, <laughs> right? Both, both uh, in both countries, you have a population that was determined to, uh, you know, 
fight for their country to the end with some uh, it being outmanned and out uh, uh, and outgunned, uh, at least on paper. Uh, and it, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't really until the first few you know, week or so, a couple weeks into the conflict that Ukraine started to get, uh, uh, you know, real infusion of, of arms. So in, in both cases, you have you have countries that, uh, you know, uh, defied predictions, not only in Moscow, but elsewhere. Professor Lavery, if you wanted our audience to remember just one point after everything we've talked about, uh, about Finland, just one point, what would it be? Um, there, if I could do two very interrelated points. One is the, uh, I, the, this Russian understanding of Finland in defensive terms. But secondly, as far as the importance of Russia to Finland and in its, its policy making. Uh, I will end with a quote by uh, President J.K. Pasiki. Pasiki was Finland's uh, president after World War II and was really the chief architect of this policy of uh, what I like to call constructive appeasement. Uh, Pasiki said, Russia might not always be a great power in the world, but it will always be a great power to us. Interesting. Hence, uh, both beneficial and also a threat, right? Yes. Interesting. Professor Lavery, thank you so much for educating me and our listeners. You're welcome back to the Peel.News anytime. And to our listeners, if you know of any history that could provide more perspective from the past on this subject, please share it with us and tell us what's your perspective. Thank you so much, Professor Lavery. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. The opinions and statements of our guests are their own. We neither agree nor disagree with them. We're only interested in the perspective they provide through history. At the Peel.News, we're honored that our guests share their expertise with us, most of which are based on years of scholarship and research and we provide links to their projects and publications for your benefit to review them if you wish. Otherwise, we're not affiliated with our guests. We just think they teach us pretty cool history, the history behind our news. Also, unless we explicitly inform you, we're not affiliated with any institutions, including Amazon, for which book links are shared here from time to time for your convenience. Finally, as a reminder, we don't do news here at the Peel.News, we peel the news for the history behind it. And our mission is not to provide a complete account and analysis of the past, rather is to highlight some issues and incidents in our history that may poke and prod your discerning minds into seeking some perspective to our news. And if you disagree with our take on history, well then, it means we've succeeded in getting you to think about the history behind news. And of course, share your thoughts with me by leaving your comments about this episode right on our homepage at www.thepeel.news. Just click the email icon in the lower right corner of your screen. I love to hear from you. I love to learn from you. Until next time, this is Adele, the host of the Peel.News, 